All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning, I like that. All right, y'all come on in, find you a spot. I had a, um, I remember a seminary class, Dr. Paige Patterson was teaching the class and he, he said this one day, he said, guys, you have got to be an extremely gifted communicator to hold someone's attention for over 30 minutes. And then he said, and most of y'all, you're not near that gifted. <laughs> and so looking at the schedule, we have about an hour for this session, and it's not an hour with uh, praise music and testimonies. It's an hour of, of teaching. And so I was telling somebody I've got three options. Option one is start late, and then folks will say, well, why are we wasting time? Option two is end early, and then folks will still say, why'd I get up so early? Option three is talk for an hour and put folks to sleep. Now, if you look at all three of those options, none of those options are good, right? And so somebody said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to do a little bit of all three. I'm going to start a little bit late. I'm going to talk a little bit long, and we're going to end a little bit early. So don't worry. Put your heart at ease. Uh, you don't have to listen to me for an hour this morning. But I am so excited to be with you. Thank you so much for coming out early this morning to kick off Focus Bible Conference 2020. Uh, Focus is always a great, great emphasis as we start the new year. And I think 2020 is going to be the climax of our Bible conference. And so let's begin with, with prayer. And we're just going to hit the ground running this morning, okay? All right, Brother Greg Stewart, would you please lead us off? Amen. Thank you, Brother Greg. Well, it is the year 2020, and for many of us, that means that we have already begun thinking about our New Year's resolutions. You don't have to raise your hand, but I know in this room there are many who have already reflected inwardly and decided what's going to be different in the year 2020. Now, some of those are uh, large plans, and some of those are small plans, I heard about a guy who said, my New Year's resolution is to lose just enough weight so that my belly doesn't jiggle when I brush my teeth. <laughs> and, and I thought, that's pretty good, you know. Set the bar at some point and go with it. Uh, a little boy went up to his dad and he said, Dad, what is a New Year's resolution? Father thought for a moment and said, well, son, a New Year's resolution is a to-do list for the first two weeks in January. You see, the reality is for many of us, we start out with a New Year's resolution. We, we reflect inwardly. We look inside. We see some things that need to change. And we, we make this resolution. We make this plan. But very few stick to it. It's said that over 80% of New Year's resolutions are broken by the end of January. 
Studies show that only 8% of New Year's resolutions actually make a change in an individual's life. There's lots of them. The top 10 that I found are these. Folks say, I'm going to lose weight. In fact, gym memberships jump 50% in the month of January. I'm going to manage debt, save money. Third, I'm going to get physically fit. I'm going to begin to eat healthy. I'm going to learn something new. I'm going to drink less alcohol. I'm going to quit smoking this year. I'm going to learn how to reduce my stress. I'm going to take a trip somewhere. And 10th, I'm going to volunteer to help others. And all those are good. All those are great things that we can apply to our life. But the problem is that so few of our resolutions actually take us anywhere. And so this morning in my time, I want to talk about something that I believe is greater than a New Year's resolution. It's greater than losing weight. It's greater than getting a, a six-pack of abs. It's greater than setting up a large savings account or an emergency fund. What I want to present to you this morning is that if we want to make the year 2020 count like never before, then we must passionately pursue Jesus Christ. We must passionately pursue Jesus Christ as individuals, as families, and as a church body. Because if we are pursuing after the Lord Jesus, everything else is going to fall into place. If you have your Bible, open to Psalm 63. That's going to be our starting point. Psalm 63. And I want to use this just to kind of reflect upon our lives before we move on. Psalm 63. And this is, this is what he says right here. He says, oh God, following verse 1, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. He says, my soul, it thirsts for you, and my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. Do you understand? We're starting off in this verse, and David is saying this. He says, God, earnestly, I am seeking after you. I'm seeking after you in such a way that my soul is thirsty for you. My flesh, God, it is fainting after you. It's as if I'm in a dry land, and I'm weary, and I'm tired, and I'm worn out, and there's no water, and I have this, this quench in my life, and I have this need in my heart, and I cannot find satisfaction in anywhere but with you. There is a yearning in his depths. There's this so deep desperation and David is crying out to God and he's saying, God, I must have you. I, I need you. My, my soul is weak and I've got to have you. And he continues. He says, so I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Why? Because your steadfast love is better than life. Did you catch that? Your love is better than my life. So my lips will praise you and I will bless you for as long as I live. I will bless your name. I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. You, you see, for David, God is not some idea just to think about intellectually. 
He's not a conversation piece that we just talk about from time to time. He's not a, a, a means that we come to to discuss on Sunday. But for David, God is all-consuming. There is a, a passion inside of David that is seeking after God. Now look back at verse 6. He says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand is what holds me up. My soul, it clings to you. You see, here's one thing I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that in our modern culture, we get uncomfortable when we talk about this all-consuming passion for God. It makes us uncomfortable because we look at it and it seems a bit foreign to us. Now, now we love the experience of worship. We love the feelings that we get when we come into a, a worship service. We enjoy that. We, we love that. We love to have these, uh, these compartments that we put God into and we come and we plug into these compartments on Sundays or on Wednesdays or in our service opportunities. But David is not pursuing an experience. He's not pursuing a worship service. He's not pursuing a Bible conference. He's not pursuing uh, some intellectual attribute. What David is pursuing is entirely God. He wants God. That's what he wants. It's not anything else. He wants God, and he wants God every moment of every day. That's why in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, it says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. And now we'll take that verse, and we'll put it on a sweater, and we'll have a deer and a stream going through it and make it pretty. It's not pretty. It is David, he's crying out and saying, God, I need you. I'm thirsty, and I must have you. God, I've got to have more of you. It goes on in Psalm 27, 4. It says, one thing I've asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire of his temple. Now, here's my question. Is this type of desperation something that typifies your life? Can you resonate with David when you read these verses and you hear them spoken? Do you resonate with it? And do you say in your heart, I understand that feeling. I understand that drive. I understand that passion. I have that same passion in my life. Or rather, when you hear these verses, does it seem distant to you? It's not just David. Moses cried out like this. He says, I want to see you, Lord. I want to see your glory. Can our singing and our preaching and our prayers and our books and our blogs and our tweets and our services and our social media updates, do they reflect the fact that we are yearning for God? In the New Testament, Paul goes on and he says this. He says, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Everything else I've got is losable. Everything I've got is sacrificable. Everything I've got is negotiable except Jesus, that I can hold on to Jesus. Can you say, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for Christ? He goes on, he says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. 
So the question is this. The question is not, what is our New Year's resolution? The question is, how deeply are we pursuing after God? In our church, at Woodland Hills Baptist Church, how deeply are we pursuing after God? Because I believe this. I believe that we can run through our programs and we can run through our services and we can run through our preachings and teachings and we can run through our music and we can run through all of our different ministries without really pursuing God. We can do a whole lot of things in our own human abilities without really ever seeking after God. Paul says the best of our best is worthless if we're not seeking after Jesus. There's a story in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, beginning verse 44, and it talks about a man who goes out one day, and he's walking around. Some of you do that from time to time. And he, he happens along this field, and in the field he finds a treasure. He looks around. He notices that most people seem to be unaware of this treasure, but he, he notices the value in the treasure. He covers the treasure up. He goes to his home, and he begins to sell everything he's got. He has a garage sale. He has an estate sale. He has a living room sale, a car sale. Everything he's got, it is for sale. Maybe a friend comes up and says, hey, why are you selling all your stuff? You got some nice stuff. Why are you selling it? And he says, see that field? I'm going to buy that field. And they say, you're crazy. What's so good about that field? It's just a field. This is all your life. This is your stuff. But he sells it with joy because he knows the treasure that's hidden in the field. You see, there are folks, if we're going to pursue Christ with passion, there are folks who will look at you and they will say, why are you doing that? It doesn't make sense. You are selling your life. You're selling all that you've got. You're wasting your time. But they say that because they do not know the treasure. Once we understand the treasure in the field, we will pursue Christ with passion. There was a man uh, in the 2004 Olympics. His name was Matt Emmons. And he was participating in the, the three different position rifle shoot. The first two, he shot so good that on the third target, all he needed to do was hit the target, and he would receive the gold medal. Matt lined up. He was in lane two, and he lined up. He made a shot, and he made a great shot that normally would receive an 8.4 score, which would have led him to the gold medal easily. The problem was Matt was in lane two, and he shot a target in lane three. Problem is, he was aiming at the wrong target. He made a good shot. He lined up his sights. He pulled the trigger smoothly. Everything went right except for the fact that he was aiming at the wrong target. And so because of that, instead of receiving first place in the gold medal, he finished in eighth place. And instead of getting the 8.4, he got a zero. Here's the problem for a lot of us. The problem is not that we're not working hard. The problem is that we're aiming at the wrong target. So many of us, we're aiming at, at this self-help procedure that I've got to be better, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to change this in my life, and all that is fine stuff, but it's simply the wrong target. You know what the right target is? Jesus. The right target is to go firmly and hard after Jesus, to seek after Jesus with all that we've got and with all that we are. And I wonder, is that typical of your life are you seeking after religion or are you seeking after Jesus 
in the way that David. What, what's that going to look like? Well, it's going to move us to things that, that draw us near to Jesus. So you say, well, Case, give me something practical. What is that? Reading our Bible. This is a Bible conference. You know what the, the central point is? The Bible. We got to be in our Bible every day, folks. And I'm not huge on New Year's resolutions, but New Year's a great time to do so. Get you a Bible reading plan. Begin to read your Bible every day. The Bible is the direct way that God communicates to his people. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I just feel like God doesn't speak to me. And I would ask you the question, how much time do you spend in his word? Because if you're not spending time in his word, you will walk through your life and you will think that God is not speaking. But if you open his word, you will meditate on it, you will spend time in it, you're going to see that God has a whole lot to say to you. So it's going to involve... His word is going to involve prayer, communication with the Lord. It's going to involve worship where we praise him and we find his worth and we find his value. It's going to mean that some things in our life change. And I realize in a group here this morning early, for most of us, it's not the big things that need to change. Most of us are not going to go rob a bank this evening, but it's those morally neutral things. It could be something as simple as sports that rob your joy and distract you from the greater things in life. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with sports. Watch some football, watch some baseball, all that's good. But if the way a a 23-year-old young man handles a football changes your attitude for the day, that's a problem. It's stealing your joy. It it has a, a larger impact on your life than it should. It may be that for you, what needs to change is you're watching too much television. I'm not anti-TV. I've got too many TVs in my house. seems like every room you go in, there's a TV on the wall. I'm not saying don't watch TV, but I'm saying we must realize that there's little value to sitting in front of a television for hours and hours a day. Find out what's robbing your, your affections from Christ. My wife and I uh, talked a few years ago, and we were thinking about social media, and we just began to realize how much time we waste on Facebook, how much time we waste just scrolling through a news feed on Facebook, looking at other people's lives. I don't know why we care so much about other people's junk. That's all Facebook is for the most part, a bunch of junk. Nothing wrong with Facebook, but we just decided, let's just kind of cut it out. We, we still have an account. We get on from time to time, but not very often because it was robbing our affections for Christ, for our family, time that we can spend with our kids, time on things that matter a whole lot more than social media. What is it that is robbing your affection from Christ? What is it that's stealing your time? What is it that's stealing your joy? See, here's my my concern. My concern is that we can read from the Psalms, and I believe that the vast majority of us in this room would say this. It is important for me in my life to pursue Christ with passion. We agree with that? Okay, some of you are with me so far. I like that. Makes me feel good. We agree with that. And most of us would look at our life, and we would say, there are some ways that are lacking in this. I'm not pursuing to the depth that I should be pursuing. I I, I read, oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. And we would say, my life does not show that in this moment. But what bothers me is there's, there's a lot of us, and if we're honest, we don't really care. You following me? We know what we ought to be doing. We ought to be pursuing Christ. 
We know that we're not pursuing to the level that we should be, but the reality is for a lot of us, we're going to leave this place this morning the same way that we came in, and the reason is because we really don't care. We really don't care. We are satisfied with where we are in life. We are satisfied with the level of our spiritual life. We are satisfied with the way that we are serving God. We are satisfied and we are content and we are complacent and we really don't want a whole lot more in our life. And I want to tell you that is a very, very sad place to be, to know that there is more out there, but we're too complacent to stand up and to reach for it. You'll know this text well. Revelation chapter 3 says, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. That's where a lot of us are, if we're honest. We're not hot on fire with passion for Christ, but we're not cold. We're somewhere in the middle. But it says, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Well, what leads them to being lukewarm? For you say, I am rich, I prospered, I need nothing. You've been so blessed, but you don't realize that you are wretched. You're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments to clothe yourself. And so the thought is to just, to just pursue Christ with all that we've got. I remember I, I often, I, I try to go eat lunch with my boys. They're still that age where they like to see daddy come eat lunch with them. And I think there's going to come a time sooner rather than later where they're not going to want me to come eat lunch with them. And so I, I like to come to the, the schools and eat lunch with them when I can. And my boys are different. Maddox is, you know, just live wire, go anywhere. But Mason's kind of got this uh, big, hard, affectionate side to him. And so we'll go eat, and uh, we're sitting at this table, and I bring them something we eat together. And then I say, okay, boys, it's, uh, it's time. It's 12, 15. Your lunch is over. It's time to go. And Max will get up. He'll give me a hug. He'll just go right in. That's not what Mason does. Mason will get up, he'll give me a hug, and he'll kiss me on the cheek, and I'll kiss him on the cheek, and then I'll get up, he'll get up, and he'll start to walk to the cafeteria, and I'll start walking down the hall, and then I'll look back, and he'll be running back at me, and he'll come up, and he'll say, Daddy, I want to give you one more hug. Okay, baby, give give me one more hug, and so then he'll go back, and I'm walking again, he'll come one more time, and he'll give me another hug. And finally, I say, Mason, baby, time's up. You've got to go to class. You've got to, i got to go, and you've got you to stay here. And so there's a long hallway when you're walking out this elementary. I walk all the way up, and every about 10 steps, I, I look back. In the hallway, Mason is standing at that corner, and he's waving to me. And so I'll take about 10 steps. I'll turn around. There he is, and he'll wave to me, and I'll, and I'll wave back to him. And I'll say, okay, baby, go, go in. And I'll, I'll try to walk fast, you know, trying to get out of here. And then... <laughs> And then I'll turn around again, and, and there he is. He'll, every time he'll stand there, and he'll be waving to me, and I'll wave. And until I get out of sight, he will stand in that spot watching his daddy. He, he, just, he just wants to be with me, and I love that. And I, I kind of think that's a picture of, of how we ought to be with the Lord. Just want a little bit more, a little bit more time, one more glance, one more look a little bit more of my energy, a little bit more of my affections in this moment. You see, insanity is this. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. A lot of us, we do that. We want things to change, but we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. So as we go to 2020, what can we do different? If we're going to passionately pursue Christ, what is this going to look like? Now go to 1 Corinthians 15. 
And I promise we're not going on a wild goose chase. We're going to land here for a little bit, and we're going to close out. There's more donuts waiting on you and coffee. Persevere to the end. It'll be worth it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Our attention is going to be in verse 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. This is a, a verse that ever since the end of last year, the Lord has put on my heart, and I just I keep coming back to it. I, I guess I would say it is my verse for the year 2020, and so I want to share it with you, and maybe it can be your verse for 2020 also. This is what it says. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's an incredible verse. It's an incredible verse that if we were pursuing Christ and if we applied to our life in 2020, I can promise you this year would be different. We would make an impact for the kingdom of God this year. You'll notice the first word in the verse is the word therefore. You've heard this said, but anytime you read the word therefore, it's connecting it to the prior passage. And so what is the point? What's it connecting to previously? When it says therefore, what is the point? We don't have time to get into it, but you'll notice in chapter 15, it's talking about death. Okay, it's talk, Let me just read you a look at verse 54, verse 54, just two verses here. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. When it says therefore in verse 58, it is in response to the great victory that we have in Christ as believers. All of chapter 15 is setting up this victory. Say, Case, what is the victory? The victory, I believe he's pointing back to, is the victory that we have over death. You see, as, as humans in here, there is one thing that, that is, is feared and that there is dread around, and that is ultimately it is death. You say, well, is that true? We go to great lengths to avoid death. We go, you've been to the doctor this last year? Most of us, we do, don't we? We have lab work. We have procedures done, right? When you got in your car on the way to church, what'd you put on? Hopefully, you put on a seatbelt, okay? Maybe you wear a helmet if you ride a motorcycle. Still not real safe, but you do you, and that's okay, right? We go to great lengths. We, we try to avoid death because we realize that, that sin is what brings death. Genesis 3, there is no death. Sin comes into the world in Genesis 3, and the result of that is death. Romans 3, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. We, we hate that. We've been affected by it. Many have lost people they, they love so dearly, and they wake up every day to the reality of death and the loss that it brings. Well, we, we try to avoid it. So some folks, but, but here's the, the problem, despite our best efforts, sometimes we still can't avoid it. This last Sunday, there was a, a church meeting, I, I know this was all over the news, you guys saw this, a church meeting in Fort Worth, and they, families came together just like we are today, and they are worshiping together. 
And you can see the, the live stream video. You can see mamas and daddies and grandparents. And, and there's, there's a, a pastor on the stage. And there, there's men in the back. Everyone's worshiping. Everyone is going on like their normal way of life. And a, a man gets up out of the back. And he goes and he pulls out his shotgun. And he kills two other men. You just, you never know. You never know in this life what is to come. And so there is this, this fear. There is this dread of, of what about death. In the Bible, it's not just talking about a physical death, that we die physically, but it's talking about a spiritual death. Because there is sin, we deserve a spiritual death. A spiritual death, which means that we are separated from God for all of eternity. And so there is this huge problem. And in 1 Corinthians, there are those who have passed away, and they're worried about them. And they're saying, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? And so Paul writes here, and he doesn't even refer to it as death. He refers to it as sleep. You know why? Because because of the love and the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, death is swallowed up, and it is no longer a permanent death, but now it is just a sleep. It is just a nap, and one day there will be a great awakening. It's a beautiful picture. And so he says, death has lost its sting. Death is swallowed up in victory. That's something as believers we ought to shout about a little bit. If there's no Jesus, there's no hope, there's no future, there's nothing to look forward to. But because of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a great eternity that is greater than anything we can imagine on this earth. And so he is setting up this great victory that comes through Jesus. And then he gets to verse 58 and he says, therefore... And so when he says, therefore, in response to this great victory, in response to the fact that even death has lost its sting, and even death has been swallowed up in victory, in light of that, this is what you are to do in your life. And notice, this is not a suggestion. This is not just for the super Christians. This is for all believers. Therefore, because you've experienced this victory, be, and he says, number one, be steadfast. Number one, he says, be steadfast. The word here is only used three times in the New Testament. It's used in our context in verse 58. It's used in 1 Corinthians 7, where it says, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, firmly established, it's used in Colossians 1, where it says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope, so, so you have this idea of being steadfast, of being firmly planted, uh, of being uh, uh, un, unwavering in your stance, being determined, being loyal. And he says, this is what we are to be. And the problem is, there are so many who claim to be Christians, and they are anything but steadfast. There are so many who claim to love the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are here today, and they're gone tomorrow. I've been at Woodland Hills this year is 15 years, so kind of been here the test of time at this point. And I remember when I came, there were individuals serving at Woodland Hills. They were in leadership. They were plugged in. They were in the kitchen crew, and they were, they were here every week. They were involved in different ministries, not just Sunday. And I mean, they were plugged in wholeheartedly. And we have no idea where they are today. And listen, it's not that they went to another church. It's that they have just slipped out. 
their passion, their zeal, their perseverance for the things of Christ at one time was very high. It was very extreme. But something happened in their life, and now they could really care less about the things of God. And so it says one of the marks of a true believer is not one who is fickle, not one who is blown in the wind, but one who has made up his mind and they have decided, I am going to stand on the things of God and I will not be moved. And so the question in my mind is this, what is it that leads folks to not be steadfast? What is it that leads us to not persevere? Remember the parable of the, the sower in Mark 4? Jesus tells a story. He said a man goes out and he begins to spread some seed. Some falls among the path. A little plant doesn't grow because a bird comes and eats the seed. He said some seed falls among uh, the rocky soil. The, 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 the seed produces no roots, but a little plant grows up until the sun comes up. Sun comes up with its scorching heat and burns the plant. Some seed falls among the thorns. Roots grow, the, the plant grows, but the thorns come up and they begin to choke out that little plant. And fourthly, some seed falls on the good soil. The seed goes into the good soil, the roots grow deep, and the plant grows tall, and that plant produces fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And people wonder, what, what does that mean? And Jesus went to explain it. it. It's the way that folks respond to Christ. And he says this, he said, you know the ones that go on the rocky ground? This is what Jesus says. The ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves. They endure for a while, but when tribulation or persecution comes on account of the word, immediately they fall away. One reason that folks don't stand firm in their faith is because of trials. It's because of tribulation. It's because difficult things happen in life. I've talked to folks all the time who say, yeah, I used to go to church. I used to be committed. But then somebody I love got sick. And so I wonder, if, if God loves me, why did he allow this to happen in my family? And so I'm not committed any longer. All right? You know, I used to love the Lord, and then I lost my job. And I, I don't understand why trials came my way. And so now I don't have much to do with the Lord any longer and so we follow as long as it's easy as long as everything lines up and as long as the Lord does everything we want him to do then we're commit to just stay in with it but the first moment that things get tough we throw the cards in and we say I'm done and what Paul is saying in first Corinthians it says because you know Christ you are to be steadfast you are to be immovable not not, not giving in not throwing the towel in Did you know what separates greatness from mediocrity one who will persevere, one who will not quit. I, I found this week, during the first year, Coca-Cola only sold 400 bottles of Coke. That's it, but they didn't quit. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team because he did not have the talent, but he did not quit. Dr. Seuss was rejected by 23 publishers before the 24th finally took his book. Babe Ruth had the record for the most strikeouts, but also went on to have the record for the most home runs. Thomas Edison's teachers gave up on him, and they said, and I quote, he is too stupid to do anything. Boy, did he prove them wrong. Henry Ford went to his engineers, and he had this idea of a V8 engine. 
And his engineers told him it will not work. There is no way in engineering technology this will ever work. And he said, I'm paying you. You work on it. They came back six months later, and they said, it will never work. He said, I'm paying you. You keep working on it. And today, it's an engine that has lasted throughout the years. My point is that if we're going to reach greatness in our, our marriages, in our families, and even spiritually, it will be marked by our desire to be steadfast and to persevere through the good times and through the difficult times. Secondly, though, we're going to wrap up. Y'all stay awake for just a few more minutes. Secondly, he says this, some fall away because of the pleasures of the world. Remember the seed that fell among the thorns? Jesus said this, and others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and prove it unfaithful. There are some who leave because things are tough, and there are many who lose their commitment because things are so good. There are many who lose their commitment for Christ because they have been blessed to an extreme way. They have hobbies, they have things to do, they have great relationships, they have places to be. God has blessed them at their jobs and so they need to work, work, work. And there's all these pleasures and all these things that come in and begin to choke out our spiritual life. And that is the case for many folks. He says, be steadfast, be immovable. Immovable is a synonym for steadfast. It means that you're just, you're just solid. You're fixed in place. You are loyal to the things of Christ despite circumstance. Circumstances don't matter. Conditions are irrelevant. Situations have no value in your life because you've decided what you're going to do. You say, well, what's an example of, of being steadfast, of being immovable? Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Bible? Remember there was that golden image that was made and, and the king said at the sound of the music, when you, the harps and the, the violins, all that stuff goes off, you're to bow down and worship this image. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to do it. And so they were caught not bowing down and so they were brought to the king and, and they began to respond to the king. And this is what they said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And who will deliver us out of your hand, O king? But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So here's what we're going to do. I get that that is a hot furnace. I feel the heat of it. Okay? But know this, we will not bow down. Our God is able to deliver you, and we believe that he will, but even if he doesn't, we still will not bow down to you. These are some men who decided in their life, I am fixed, I am firm, and I will be found faithful for the cause of Christ. What about you? Are you following so passionately to the things of Christ that you will not waver from the truth? Despite the fact if there are good times or if there are bad times, you will be found faithful. You say, is that expected of me? It is. Jesus says in Luke 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? It's the calling for every one of us this morning. 
Every one of us. And the last thing is this. You've been looking for that one, okay? Last thing is this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable. Number three, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I love that it says always because I think for some of us we have the idea that I'm going to abound in the work of the Lord on Sundays, but it doesn't say abound on Sundays. It doesn't say abound on Wednesdays. It said always abounding. The Bible says, and whatever you do, work heartily as unto the world, not unto men. And so here's what it means. When you go to your job tomorrow, you're working for the Lord. Yes, you have a boss. Yes, you have a job to do, but understand that God has placed you there for a purpose. Abound in the work of the Lord at your job. Our students, when they go to school, they are to abound in the work of the Lord at their school. The way that we live our life, it matters greatly. It means that we don't hesitate. We don't desist from. We are always going to carry out the work of the Lord in a full-hearted manner. Look back 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You're in 1 Corinthians 15. Flip back a few pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. I want you to know this is in your Bible. I want you to know where it is because it is, it is of the utmost importance. This is what it says. It says, each one's work will, will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Here's the point. Here's what it says in a nutshell. It says we will all stand before God, even as believers, and we will give an account for our life. And our works will be judged. Your works will be judged and my works will be judged. And we are, are building this house in our life. And for some of us, we're using wood, hay, and stubble. We're, we're using things that have no eternal value. And what he says is this, when we get to heaven, all of our works in this life are going to be burned up. Why? Because we were selfish. Because we did not care about the future things. We were so preoccupied with our current life. And so are we going to get into heaven? Yes. But he says we're going to get in smelling like smoke. We're going to get in by the skin of our teeth is how I take it. We're going to get in, but we're not going to leave a lasting mark on those around us. We're not going to have rewards to throw at the feet of Jesus in heaven. But then there are some who are building their house with precious metals, gold and precious stones. And when they get in before the judgment of their works, what they did in this life will remain. It's going to continue. It's going to last. And they're going to have rewards because of it. See, your life, the way that you live, the works that you do, they matter. They do not earn your salvation. They do not earn your place in heaven, but they do make an impact, and they do make a difference. So he says, abound in the work of the Lord. You say, what is the work of the Lord? The work of the Lord is any activity that you normally would not engage in if it were not for your faith in Christ. Some of you were up here yesterday, and you were helping with a concert. Not because you wanted to, but because you want to serve the Lord. Some of you went out and you went to a lady's house that needed help all yesterday morning and you worked hard for a lady you hardly know, but you did it because of your faith. 
You did it because you love Jesus. You did it to abound in the work of the Lord. What is it that you're doing that's not for you, but it is for the kingdom of God? Teaching a class, driving a bus. Man, you drive these buses, it'll drive you nuts. I don't think there's a soul in here that would enjoy driving a bus on Wednesday nights. But you do it because you know it can change someone's life. And then he goes on, he says this, and this is really the part that I think gets me the most. For you know that your labor is not in vain. Anybody ever do something for the Lord and you feel like there's not a whole lot of point to it? I just, maybe it's just for me, I do. There's a lot of times that I get up and preach, and it may not look like it, but there's a whole lot of time that goes into, for me, preparing a message. And there are times that I, I leave it and I really think, that didn't help anybody. There's a lot of times that I feel like my labor is in vain. And so to, to have this reminder that anytime we work for the Lord, we have the promise that God uses that and our labor is not in vain. You teach a class, God's going to use it. You sing and use your gifts, God is going to use that. You drive a bus, God's going to use that. You work with our children, our youth, whatever it is that you do, God will use that. You, you cook a meal this week, God will use that, and he'll bless it. I tell this story in connection, but I remember, Amy, when we started, we started our bus route here at Woodland Hills. So every Wednesday, we would meet at like 4 o'clock, and we would drive all over, all through Hallsville, and all the way back to church. And we would fill that bus up, and uh, it, it was fun. I say it was fun. I guess sometimes it was fun. But when we would go pick up this, this one young lady, and she lived out on by Appaloosa and Joy Lane. Some of you know where that is. It's way out in the middle of nowhere. We drive all the way out, way out of the way, probably 15 minutes out of the way to pick up this one young lady, and she would get on the bus, and we would say, hey, how you doing? And she wouldn't smile. She wouldn't say hi. She wouldn't do anything. She would just have the frown on her face. She'd go all the way to the back. She'd sit down, and she'd get off the bus. And we would go every week to pick her up, and she would always be there. And I remember thinking, Man, we waste a lot of time going out to get this one girl who doesn't even seem to want to be here. Finally, she graduated. We, we quit picking her up. She went on to college. And, but I got a call a few years later. I got this phone call, and I answered and said, hello. And she says, this case? And I said, it is. And she said, well, this is. And she gave me her name. And it came back to me. Oh, hey, how are you doing? And she said this. She said, I just want you to know that, you know, you and Miss Amy came out, and you picked me up all those, those times. I want you to know that I, I got saved one of those Wednesday nights. And I gave my heart to the Lord, and my life has been changed ever since. And I don't know that I would have ever been saved if you would not have given me a ride to the church. And so I just want to tell you that. Hope you have a great day. And in that moment, everything changed. In that moment, it made sense of why we drove all the way out there all those weeks because the Lord was working. Here's the point. There may be things that you're doing that you might not ever see the value in. You might not see how God is using it. You might not see how God is working. But based upon the promise of Scripture, your labor is not in vain. What you're doing for him and for the kingdom will not be laid to waste. And so keep on going. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Be abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Hebrews says, look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You want to know who to look for? Look to Jesus. Let me ask you to close your eyes, bow your head, and I want you to think about it. I know we've covered a lot this morning, but the point really is simple. Number one, we must pursue Christ with passion. We cannot be satisfied where we are spiritually. We cannot become complacent. We must see that we have work to do for the Lord. And so in your life, are you pursuing Christ with passion? Maybe there are things that have gotten in the way, and the Lord's showing you those this morning. Maybe there are things that you need to cut out of your life, things that do not bring him honor and glory. Let the Lord lead you to those things. Maybe there are things that you need to add to your life. Maybe you're honest and you say, I really don't spend much time in my Bible. And that needs to change, starting now. Maybe you say, my prayer life is, is really pretty weak. And that needs to change, starting now. The worship in my life, it's not there. And that needs to change, starting now. So that I can passionately pursue Christ. And once we are ready to pursue Christ, what's it going to look like? means that we will be steadfast. We're committed to Christ through the good times and through the difficult times. We're going to be steadfast. We're going to be immovable. Our feet are planted right here, and we're going to work for the kingdom for as long as we can. Immovable. And always, not sometimes, but to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Not just in a church setting, but when we're at the restaurant and we're at, we're at our job, when we're around people who need help, we will abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Because we know that in the Lord our labor is never in vain. God will use it. God will bless it. Keep working. Keep striving. Find a way to use your gifts for his kingdom. Lord, thank you again for this time. Thank you for each of these, God, who have come this morning and endured a long teaching, God. I pray that you've spoken to us. I pray that, that God, you've shown us that, that there is so much out there for us to accomplish. And Lord, I pray that, that here at Woodland Hills, we will be steadfast, we will be immovable, and we will abound in your work always. Lord, let lives to be changed this year. Let your work to be accomplished. Lord, I pray you'll be with the rest of this Bible conference, God, that you'll continue to speak to us. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. All right, y'all, thank you so much for being here.